Hello and welcome to part four of the GFT AI podcast. My name is Simon Thompson and I run the AI Centre of Excellence that GFT has established in the UK. In this week's podcast, we want to talk about infrastructures and support for AI projects. And to help with that, this week, I'm joined by Sam Richardson, who's a member of our AI team. Sam, hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, can can you, rather than me mangling your bio and, and distorting everything, can you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as you said, currently I'm in the AI team here at GFT. I worked in a data science position at startup before this, and then my background's in sort of uh, experimental material science. So I did physics degree ori originally, and then a PhD in material science, and then have done uh, postdocs and sort of industrial positions um, in that area as well. And what got you into working on uh, data science and AI, Sam? Um, so I had already exposure in a lot of, I guess, data type working and analysis with uh, my previous work. Um, I used to work a lot at um, large scale synchrotron experiments where you get this huge amount of data. So there is already kind of dealing with kind of processing of unstructured data. Um, so I was kind of aware of a lot of these technologies going on and then um, the whole area just became very exciting. So uh, sort of where I got interested and then um, got a job as a data scientist. And uh, and then I was lucky enough to uh, to meet you and uh, I'm very glad that you were able to join the team, I've got to say. <laughs> in the past few, well, I am. Uh, in the past few months, we've, uh, you and I and, and the rest of the team, we've been working a lot on uh, reference architectures and implementation patterns for the AI for our AI projects. Um, and uh, some of that's come, I know, from your technical interests and, and thinking on this. And uh, I was curious, you know, what was it that actually got you started thinking about infrastructure supporting AI projects? Um, so in my, my first position as a data scientist, I worked at a startup and we had sort of quite an early stage project when I was starting working there. That was, it was very exciting. We were working with industry sponsored accelerator program so they were involved and there was all these different groups sort of um trying to put together some useful technology within a very short period of time so in the end by the by the time we actually received the data and had sort of set the outline of the project we had about four weeks to do the work and it was large data sets that were real data sets from their um, systems that were sort of quite messy to deal with and then putting them together and coming up with an actual solution that had some sort of business value for the company. And this went, it was really well, it worked really well. It was very exciting. There was three of us working on it very hard for the four weeks um, and we got a great result. So it was all very good. Um, the, the issue came when sort of, they said, that's great. Now could we look at when can we start doing a, a proof of concept, like uh, implement this into our systems in production for a six month trial. So that was sort of gone from being, um, mm. Sort of very exciting to a bit of a shock because all of our work because we were so rushed we had uh compromised on sort of the framework and the experimental structure and gone for very quick simple results which got us what we needed but um were no good sort of for going into production so we had say i guess it's a common thing people find is that you end up with maybe slightly a mess of jupyter notebooks and you have notebook feature engineering one that outputs a pickle object which goes into feature engineering two which and say there's like a line of six or seven fairly unorganized notebooks that three people have. I know how little parts of them go. Um, so it, it gets very tricky to implement it. So that was a bit of a shock realizing that we really needed more of a framework 
Um, and say working with a framework from the offset, I guess, is the best way to go in that you don't have to then repeat and sort of untangle this work that you've maybe done. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, I think for me, it was sort of the, the first indication of, ah, yes, this is very important. We really need to think about it. Mm, the dreaded production speed bump, uh, yes. which is, yeah. I mean, the other side, I, I, I mean, it's the shock that the data science team has. Um, but I, I think the other one is the, the shock that customers get when they think that they've paid for um, the work. And in fact, it turns out they've only paid for the beginning of the work and that there's this huge speed bump to move from the proof of concept, as you say, uh, into anything else, even, even slightly more robust or, or scalable. Yeah. And even your initial result without that framework, a lot of the time your initial result can be slightly in question as well because you're not doing enough checks and balances to see that you're you are on track this whole time. Like it, that there's so many variables in these things. You you do need to be very strict on your sort of framework and process to prevent these kind of mistakes slipping in. Oh totally. Totally. So it's it's pretty clear that uh you know I think I think everybody who who gets a start and and has a go at to building real data science projects and artifacts is having an ad hoc infrastructure to work on is is pretty much a recipe for disaster. I think some people only find that out when they're working in teams, actually. And I think it's interesting you mentioned the first project being uh, in a team. And, and I think traditionally, actually, people have been more singletons and, and that a lot of the art around data science sort of assumes an individual worker do you have any any comments about working in a team and um, the, the the infrastructure for team working? Uh, yeah, so I mean, having, say, a, a framework put together definitely helps with that. So say, in the example I gave, it was, say, we had divided up the work into three pieces, and then you get to the point where they say, well, can we just rerun the pipeline with new data? This person's here and the other person, people aren't available, and then you have to try and untangle a lot of those code that's maybe not as well documented as you'd like and things like that, where picking up and sort of collaborating with other people becomes a lot more difficult unless you have the shared agreed platform from the offset. Yeah, totally. So it's pretty clear that the ad hoc infrastructure is a recipe for disaster, uh, especially, you know, if yes, everything, yeah. Actually, yeah, especially if, that, if things actually really do go well, which is the even more frustrating part of it. But um, do, you, do you have any views to what the, the key components, the things that you really would not be without uh, are? Uh, yeah, so in terms of the, the sort of components, I, I think of it mostly in terms of um the the model training process so training the models and this is typically done uh, like offline not as the model is being used and then model serving where you're then using the model and the model is running online and you can request whenever you need and sort of for those things it's kind of the, the key concepts for both those areas are that you want everything to be reduced reproducible so any result you get on any day can be traced back to say the input parameters and the, the code that was provided and so everything is logged everything's reproducible um and sort of the, the key things you're looking to capture there are the data and the, the code of it um of actually what was put together um so those are kind of the key things i guess for sort of um logging everything and then there's all these other components for actually having operational processes so things like a scheduler so that you can run it on time and you're not sort of uh having to just ad hoc, just manually trigger it 
um, and sort of the also there's experiment tracking so then you can get all the logging um, and also storing of the models so some sort of artifact storage and the the final piece would be some way of running tests so tests on the, the code logic itself and then quality checks upon the data so you can get a lot of unexpected data in the pipeline and just confirm that you know what's coming through i guess i guess there's there's a that you've just hit on a difference between traditional sort of ci cd processes and DevOps processes and the uh the ai or data science process um because you you mentioned the data mm. Yeah. So, do you do you expand on that? Why is why is that a problem? You know, if we just have Jenkins and all of the version, you know, GitHub and mm. Jenkins and version control and uh, issue tracking and so forth, like we would in a, a sort of DevOps project. Mm -hmm. Why? What? Why does having the data make a difference? Yeah. So, I guess the data does cause a big difference because it is another large variable so like all the devops practices are mainly based around logging and tracking of the code because the say the function of your web app is what code have you uh deployed um whereas yeah. with machine learning systems it's a function the output of your machine learning pipeline would be a function of the the code so the logic you have and the models but then also the data that goes in um and these systems are designed to run and collect data have monthly batches of data and you can get very unexpected data sets compared to what you initially set the system up with. Mm, absolutely. Okay, and so so we we need a different type of infrastructure. There's a whole load of components there. As we've as we've developed these reference architectures and gone forward and and done projects, have you come across any pitfalls where people have have tried things which haven't worked out, or key pitfalls in 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 things that people overlook? So I think, as I said, the, the data testing, I think, is one that's very key to make sure you are doing quality data checks throughout because you can get this issue of uh, out of distribution data. So data that you haven't really trained your model on coming into the system um, and you can just get the issue where if you're putting in parameters that your model, were, it was very far away from the space that your model was trained in initially, um, you can just get sort of nonsense coming out of certain types of models. Um, so you, you can see it very clearly with um, some of the sort of adversarial attacks people do on um, sort of image detection models, and they're very easy to fool if you put the wrong type of data in. So the key is with that is with these data quality checks is to make sure that you aren't pushing the wrong type of data in, because all people will see is the output, and they'll just see you you giving them a, the wrong answer. So I think that's one of the sort of big pitfalls, um, yeah. and just not kind of logging and tracking everything as well. So the idea of, as we were saying before, like using these notebooks and um, having coming more complex the work becomes, the more difficult it becomes to keep track of anything if any one person is trying to just handle everything by themselves. I think on the data testing, I always I always tell the story that scarred me on that, where uh, there was a system that uh, was running uh, in a previous, a previous employment, previous life that basically, uh, was producing uh, results um, that uh, were just accepted as as uh, as being uh, truthful indicators of of the need for a for an intervention uh, in in a business process. And uh, um, unfortunately, what happened was that somebody 
uh, turned off the one of the data feeds to the system. Uh, and uh, the reason it got turned off was that the, the audit process for managing uh, turning turning things off was to email the consumers of the system, and the uh, the 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 machine learning classifier wasn't down on the email uh, distribution list for uh, updates and changes, and so obviously the, the the machine learning system didn't speak up as a consumer of this data. Um, but what happened was that the the data feed um, was then treated as um, uh, zeros by the exception handler in the in the system so it, it got null values but somebody wrote an exception handling routine that, that mapped those to zero uh, which were used as acceptable data by the classifier um, but actually caused the classifier to produce more or less random results very very bad results which ruined the 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 business value of the system and the thing was because we weren't testing the data it was months before anybody figured this out. And, uh, you know, ever since then, I've been very keen to test it on, on ingest to find out what's in it, funnily enough. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's definitely one that I've, I've seen. Mm. Okay, so, yeah, it's pretty interesting. But what, what, what would you say at the moment we've got all this art, we've built a lot of stuff, um, and and I implemented you know reference architectures which we use. But what's missing at the moment? Um, so I would say some of those, I guess um, maybe not missing, but there are some things that are coming where I think they're quite interesting applications. Say in terms of um, model interpretation, um, there's some interesting features. Say AWS has their sort of bias and fairness testing and um, GCP has some tools for starting to look at attributing um, which particular features contributed to an additional result. So I think it's interesting you can start to build those kind of things on top of um, these structures once you have the foundation. In terms of missing, I do find it challenging a lot of the time some of the debugging tools for these sort of scheduling um, pipeline type tools can be quite uh, sort of cumbersome to deal with um, mm. in terms of your cycle. So you, especially when you've gone from evaluating in a notebook and then going to deploy, a lot of the tools for when you do deploy is very, very slow, that sort of iteration cycle of um, uh, sort of updating and fixing as you go along. So that would be nice if there was more thought around could you take some of the better parts from Jupyter Notebooks and put that into the deployment? Because there is a reason people like, I guess, Notebooks so much mm. and are resistant to doing a lot of the um, sort of heavier infrastructure. And I think a lot of it comes down to the debugging is such a challenge. Yeah, totally. I guess, I guess for me, uh, I see that there's a big gap around uh, feature stores that, that mm. we we often build many custom features and I, I find uh, tracking and reusing those between projects, especially the reuse between projects to be very difficult because they tend to be very, very hard coded into the data pipelines uh, or implicitly coded into the data pipelines. And uh, that that close coupling, I think, is is painful. So I'd like a more 
declarative way to build features and to uh, have them stored for for reuse and and for improvement as well, you know, and actually be able to say that this way of producing a feature is better than another particular way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I also think that we're very bad at mapping from the dev pipeline into the test and production pipelines. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a big gap of validity and verification there, or, you know, it's, it's it's very hard to know really really is is this uh prod pipeline a good representation of the the dev pipeline mm, um, yeah which problematic to say the least yeah. so there's a long way to go i think um, mm. from my perspective well i've uh, i've really enjoyed talking to you sam uh, it's a pretty pretty interesting topic for me so i'd like to say thank you very much for joining this week and um uh, yeah, just say thank you once again. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, that was uh, great to talk about with you. No problem. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>